But I told you before, you will not be disappointed. They've been working really, really hard to present the incredible Christmas story in very dramatic and powerful fashion. You will not be disappointed. Your friends will not. You need to be here tonight. It'll be a wonderful time of worship and celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a great story is told of 200 years ago, Thomas Jefferson uh, sent Lewis and Clark and their expeditionary party out to discover the newly purchased West. And as part of their expedition, they were called to find the source of the mighty Missouri River. And so after 15 months of searching and doing uh, many other things, amongst those things was searching out the, the headwaters of this mighty Missouri River. They actually found the source of these great headwaters, wink, wink, uh, at around the Montana-Idaho border. And what they found, it was actually a very small, tiny rivulet. And so one of the party, Hugh McNeil, thanked the Lord for his graciousness and his mighty power and their, his hand upon their great party. And he also stood there astride of this tiny rivulet and said, I stand astride of the mighty Missouri River. What it reminds us of is especially in God's kingdom, great things often start very small. Now it might be, as we speak specifically of next week, as we look at this great incarnation of Christ and who this person was, this Jesus Christ, who was this little baby in a manger, that he was more than just a baby. He was more than just an earthly king, but he was in fact God on earth. So it might be that story, great things start in tiny packages Or it may be, when we think of Mary herself, as we'll look at today, we often think that great things in God's kingdom starts with tiny people. Not those that are tiny in physical stature, but those who might think to themselves, I am of no great importance to the world, and I am definitely of no great importance to the kingdom of God. We know, as scripture says, that contrary to what some might think, that Mary was in fact deity herself, that in fact she was just an ordinary person, just like you and me, someone who was willing to be used when God called her to great things. Lord God, we come now and we ask as we look at this story of Mary and the announcement of Gabriel the angel, may we learn from Mary and her willingness to be used. And may we be encouraged by the fact that, Lord God, you don't search out those who are of great stature, who are those who are of wise temperament. Yes, you use those people, but you do not exclusively use those people. So whether we are those of great stature or whether we are those of a relatively small stature or whether we find ourselves anywhere in between, We know, Lord God, that you will use us. You will use us to do great and mighty things. As we look now specifically at this story of Mary and her involvement in the great Christmas story, may we learn from her and may we apply these great truths to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we see here in Luke chapter 1, it says, Now in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. This virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. 
for the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, I imagine so, and considered what sort of manner of greeting this was. What is this all about? And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, some of us may have gone to books, little naming books, or maybe it was a family member, or maybe it was just something we heard. Maybe you like the name of a movie star or whatever it may have been. But this is probably, this has to be the most unique instance of the naming of a baby of all time. An angel says, here's what his name is going to be. It will be Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? She was betrothed to Joseph but she's saying I've never had a sexual relationship with a man, even Joseph of whom I'm betrothed. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, therefore. So therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Remember her. Remember Elizabeth. Lest you think this is too incredible. For with God, nothing will be impossible then mary said behold the maidservant of the lord let it be according to your word and the angel departed her the first thing that we see here when we come to this great passage of one who is relatively small in stature being used for great things and as it being so a great lesson and a great challenge and a great encouragement to all of us, the first thing that we see is that God used unexpected places and unexpected people. In verse 26 again, it says, Now in the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel, that great messenger of the Lord, was sent sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth, first of all, was like a backwater town of the day. You remember even Nathaniel when he was called out to follow Jesus Christ, when he was brought word and said, hey, you need to follow this guy, Jesus Christ. There's something different about this guy. What did Nathaniel say? He says, what good can come from Nazareth? It was like the town across the tracks. It was the backwater town. It was the one that's like the smallest of the small little dot on a map. You know, my father is from East Texas, and he's from a place called Price, Texas. Very seldom have I run into anyone, even who's lived in, in East Texas, born and raised in East Texas, that knows and have ever heard of Price, Texas. When I tell them, where's my dad from, you know, I'll say Price, Texas, and I'll also say in the same breath, he's from Henderson or he's from Longview. That sort of a place, because that helps him locate where exactly he was from. It's one of those types of places when you're driving on the tiny little country road, you, you, you blink and you miss it. And you think, what good could come from Nazareth my dad would say what does that mean what what type of conclusion are you drawing there but be as it may they would say in those days and Nathaniel said what good can come from Nazareth even a person from an unexpected place and the person herself 
Verse 27, it says, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, leaving absolutely no doubt. We'll look more into this next week, but leaving no doubt whatsoever that God was involved. This wasn't just a regular ruler. We might think what an incredible story if there was a great ruler that came from humble beginnings and rose to power in a nation. What an incredible story, movie-worthy story would that be. But this is a step beyond. It's not even a step. It is a completely different universe. God was the author of this birth. God was no doubt involved. So she was betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. My, how his lineage had fallen. We'd see even in Matthew's account, Matthew begins to give an account of the lineage of Jesus, tracing it all the way back to the line of David, saying that yes, Jesus had a royal pedigree, but even beyond that, his royal pedigree wasn't a royal pedigree of earth, his royal pedigree was that of heaven. But even in the midst of that royal pedigree of the line of David, it had come to a place of not disrepute, but it definitely wasn't an elevated royal lineage when it came down to the simple man of Joseph. And even when we look in this lineage, we see someone like Tamar, a Canaanite who posed as a prostitute. Rahab, a prostitute herself. Ruth was a Moabite, not even inside the people of God. And Bathsheba, we see this as well, who was part of that, 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 uh, that, that great story, that incredible story of, of a sad story of a of a, great, uh, of, a, of a great illicit affair and an incredible story of David uh, seeking to cover his tracks and an incredible story of sin and its warning. Even in that, we see these people. We see these ones who, if the world was choosing, if the world was picking out who might be on the docket of the family of the royal one of God, you wouldn't necessarily pick these people. And even back to the choosing of David by God, we see that uh, the, the prophet was looking at all of the different uh, brothers of David's family saying, surely that's the one, surely that's the one, surely that's the one. And as God rejected one after another, after another, after another, he said, God looks upon the heart. Man looks upon outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. You see, God can use, God uses anyone for his great task. Because he came for everyone. The great God of heaven, God the Son, who came to us, will use anyone for his task. Because he, in fact, came for everyone. So not only do we see unexpected people in unexpected places, but we also see that when we are called, those that feel as though we are relatively small in stature are called to great things for God. We know that God walks with you. When he calls you to something great, he walks with you. You see, the angel says here in verse 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You know, I'm sure she wasn't really rejoicing in that moment. She was pr still probably in shock, taken aback by the fear. And probably it's setting in on her what, what this incredible task is that she's called to. And her mind begins to run and run and run as what this is going to mean. What are the implications of this? And it may have been a little hard for her to rejoice in that moment. But yet the angel says rejoice. You see for us as believers, whatever it is that God calls us to. If we live life trying to simply eliminate risks in life. 
if we live our life simply trying to eliminate any sort of failure that, that, may, that may come, we will also eliminate in our life the rejoicing that comes from God. You see, there are great things that God calls relatively small people to. You may say, I've, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you, know, you may say, I do have a decent stature in society. Someone else may say, I'm relatively small in stature in society. And we all fall anywhere in between. And it doesn't matter who we are, whether we are great in stature or small, God wants to call us to something that may start small and blossom into something incredible. You know the greatest callings that any believer has that we often miss in our life is the calling that he's given to every believer. You know, it would absolutely revolutionize the life of the believer if we actually lived a life in which we were courageously trusting God as we pray, God, open my eyes to those who are around me whose hearts are hurting and who desperately need to give their lives to Jesus Christ. If we lived our lives in such a way in which we were beginning with that prayer in life, daily we were waking up, God, open my eyes to those who are around me. And then we were saying, God, give me the courage when opportunities are presented, whether they be at work, whether they be at school, whether they be at a, a restaurant where we may be eating, God, give me an opportunity to invite someone to church. Give me an opportunity to, to tell the story of the gospel. Give me an opportunity to witness how incredible our lives would be as Christians. You see, one of the greatest tasks, one of the most profound tasks, one of the most incredible tasks that God has given to any believer is the very task that he has given to every believer which is to spread the incredible message that we celebrate at this time of the year. That God knew us in our trespasses and sins, and God knew that we were dead in those things. And God knew that without forgiveness in our life, that there would be no way that we'd be reconciled, brought back together with Him. And then at the, the death of our lives, we would not spend eternity with Him in heaven, but we'd spend eternity in hell. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that place of life in which every person on the face of the earth is found, God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and Christ came to us. That's what we celebrate in this time of the year. We don't celebrate Santa Claus. We don't celebrate a snowman. We don't even celebrate the birth of an important person. We celebrate the birth of the Son of God who came to us to save us from our sin. And we have the opportunity, each and every believer in this room has the opportunity to join hand in hand with God in the greatest call that he can give to any believer, which is the call that he gives to every believer. But if we live our lives in such a way that we seek to eliminate any possible risk from our life, any possible risk that God might uh, lead us into a situation in which a person that we share with might reject us, uh, might just kind of flat out of hand say, you know, no, that's not for me. Or when a person might say when we come and share with them, they might back us into a corner and ask us a question of which we don't know the answer. And by the way, you know, a great response to that when someone asks you a question of which you don't know the answer, you say, you know what, I'm not really sure about that. I don't know. But here's what I'll do. I'll get you an answer. And that is quite all right. Whatever it may be, if we live, lives to, live our life to eliminate risks, maybe it's God has called you to, to, to give of yourself and to volunteer for this great task for his kingdom and for his church. Maybe he's called you to, to give into this 
to this great thing for his name, whatever it may be, or whether it is simply the greatest calling that he has given to everyone, which is to spread this message of the Christmas season and the Easter season and the story of the gospel, whatever it may be, God is with us. He's with us. So rejoice, the angel says to Mary. Rejoice, you highly favored one. What this means is that Mary is a recipient, not a giver of grace. Uh, Some out there will say that Mary, her fact, in some part is deity. And in fact, we can pray to Mary and those sorts of things. But there is absolutely no evidence that we see in Scripture that Mary is any sort of an elevated person, especially not deity. She is a recipient not a giver of grace. In fact, this same phrase is used in Ephesians 1, 6 of all believers. And it's translated that we are accepted in the beloved. What does this mean for us? Not just the deep theological meaning that we see that no, Mary is not deity in and of herself. That's only the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also see that again, God uses anyone. God doesn't use her because she was greatly uh, she was great and above her stature. She wasn't one who was, uh, who, was, who was a giver of grace, but she was a recipient of the grace of God, highly favored. And in fact, we see here, she says, Rejoice, you highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. For the Lord is with you. This promise of God, which we draw the title of this message, is not an empty promise, nor is it easily dismissed. Anyone in our life, every person, whether it even be our own mother, at some point in our life will let us down. At some point they will. Because they, just like us, they're a person, they're a human being. But God is the only one. God is the only being of which we can trust 100% and fully that he is always, always with us. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed not because she was intrinsically wonderful, but blessed because God chose her. Just like the nation of Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel had begun at some point in some segment of their, of their nation, had begun to read their own headlines throughout their history and began to think that they were blessed, that God chose them rather because they were blessed, not that they were blessed because God chose them. With us as well, just like the nation of Israel and just like Mary, God has chosen us. God has chosen us for a great task. Blessed are we. Blessed was she and blessed are we. You know, she may have began to feel not so blessed in this moment. Just as we said that in this moment as well, she may not have been rejoicing because the enormity of this task began to set in. But when God calls us to something great, even when again God calls us to the great calling that he gives every believer of sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ, enormity leads to dependence and dependence upon God leads to our growth enormity leads to dependence upon God and dependence upon God leads to our growth we never grow in our relationship with the Lord we never grow in spiritual maturity when we are simply sitting on the sideline of life and we are simply trying to eliminate risk whether they be practical social or spiritual But when we live in such a way that we must depend upon God, that is when we grow. So not only does God use unexpected places and unexpected people, not only does God walk with you, but we also see that fear precedes great victory. It's natural to be afraid. And so when she saw him, 
this angel, this messenger of God, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. I mean, you think about it. We've heard this story. Those of us who have grown up in church, we've heard it so long that we kind of miss the impact of this. You know, she might be kind of, you know, just turning off the lights for the night, you know, turning off the lights, put it in 2015 context, making her coffee for the night or whatever the first century version of those tasks that we do. And here she turns the corner and an angel is there, an angel. And we think, you know, oh, of course, if I saw an angel, I'd think just incredible, a messenger of God, a wonderful being. But we would be struck with fear in the same way that she was. And, of course, the angel says to her, don't be afraid. The same words uh, Gabriel gave to Zacharias, we see a little bit earlier in the chapter, the same words that God gives to Moses in Exodus when he calls him to great things, the very same words that Moses passes on to all of the children of Israel when, when God gives them their great call that they will go into the promised land, the very call that the spies uh, in the spirit and power of God give to the rest of the nation of Israel, we see in Numbers when they've gone into the new promised land, they've spied it out, they've given the minority report, they've come back and they've said, do not be afraid, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Think about how wonderful and how powerful and how exciting the Christian life would be if we are living in such a way that we need the continual reassurance of the Lord. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What I've called you to, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. And we also see, do not be afraid, Gabriel says, you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. How did she find favor with God? Not only God chose her, but also, also how did she reciprocate this favor that God had given her? She had, as we can have, a willing heart and a godly spirit. When God calls us to something great, how do we respond? We respond with a willing heart and a godly spirit. So not only do we see the unexpected people and places, not only do we know that God walks with us, not only do we see it's natural to be afraid and fear precedes victory, but it is a reminder, the thing that we anchor to and whatever God has called us to is that it's not about us, it's him. Not us, but him. This one Jesus, whom we will look to this next week in great detail. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. The Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, that royal lineage. He will reign over the house of Jacob, uh, another name for Israel forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I don't know a man. And then the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is with you will be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, remember Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And she is now in the sixth month for who her is called barren. For with God, nothing, nothing is impossible. Remember, his name is to be called Jesus. That is, the Lord is salvation. We even know in the secular world around us that even so many of the movies that we see are about salvation. Not spiritual, biblical salvation that we think of, but a saving of the world. 
there's this kind of intuitive nature, this kind of intuitive uh, thought within us that the world is heading towards destruction and it needs salvation. And that's why we see so many of these destruction movies, that we, why we see so many of these movies in which someone has saved the day. But we know that the Lord is bringing salvation to the world that desperately needs spiritual salvation. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He will be great, unqualified greatness. He is not great based upon this or based upon that, but it's just simply who he is. He will be called great and glorious, and he will be the son of the highest. The throne of his father David, again, that royal lineage of which Matthew traced out, referenced here by Gabriel, that royal lineage of David, he will sit upon the earthly throne, he will sit upon the, uh, of David in the heavenly throne, and he will reign upon, over the house of Jacob forever. He will take his rightful place, not only as the ruler of all Israel, but the ruler of the world. You know, it may seem like on the surface when we see this story that it might be a classic underdog story, right? The baby born in a manger, which was a feed trough, humble beginnings, mother and father were from Nazareth, a little blip on the map. What a classic underdog story. But let me tell you, that is where the illustration falls completely apart because this is no great underdog story. This is the king of heaven and earth who has come to us. He has come to us. And when we place our faith and trust in him and we follow him, we place our faith and trust in him daily as well. We follow the one who is the eternal ruler of heaven and earth. And it says, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The one that we follow isn't some measly warlord that kind of took his place of throne because of a coup and he is soon to be thrown out because of another coup. We follow the eternal ruler of heaven and earth. Daniel 7.14, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom to all the people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And again, this famous verse of the Christmas season, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So he will be great. He will be the Son of the Most High. He will reign forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. And Mary's saying, how will this happen? The power of the Most High will overshadow you. God leaves no doubt that he's involved. The one, the Holy One who's to be born will be called the Son of God. This is a messianic call that God does not only just save us from a distance, but it is God who came to us. God loves us and wants to know us with intimacy. He's created us in his image. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. But God wants to have relationship. He wants to be reconciled to us. And he proved it by coming to us. For with God, it says in verse 37, we're wonderful end to this verse here. For with God, nothing will be impossible. If you just search that phrase, maybe you have Bible software, a Bible study software, maybe just even in a Google search, and you put in that exact phrase, it is amazing how many references you see in Scripture to that exact phrase. For God, nothing will be impossible. For that great call, it's a common call for God followers. 
You see, so not only do we see not us, but him. Fear precedes victory. God walks with you. Unexpected places and unexpected people. But finally, we see the correct response. The correct response. Look at this in verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Fear, uneasiness, just a real trepidation about what she was being called to, an unworthiness. You can just imagine the thoughts that are going through her mind. Physically thinking of the next nine months and the difficulty that's inherently part of a pregnancy. On top of all that, she's carrying the Son of God. All of these things that were, uh, were running through her mind. And yet she says, behold, the maidservant of God. She exhibited, as we must as well, whatever it is that we're called to, a trusting submission to the will of God. You see, faith really amounts to trust. When we think about faith as it is exercised practically in our daily life, it is simply a trust in God. We know his will for us. We know his word. We know what he's called us to. We're to be in regular prayer with him and the Holy Spirit speaks to us. God makes clear his will to us. May not be on our timetable, but yet he does. And so what is our faith response? Our faith response is to trust him. Trust him. Trust him every step of the way. You see, we think about the good news this time of the year. The good news that Christ has come. A great story told of Dr. Charles Eliot, he was a great Bible scholar, and he was 77 years old, and in fact, little did he know, he was in within about a week of his death, and his daughter came in to his study and asked what he was studying, and he says, I have been for the last three weeks walking through, and he was about to wrap up the entirety of the Old Testament, and his daughter said, well, what are you reading? And he simply said, the news, the news. What he meant by that was what he was reading, though written thousands of years ago, was as timeless as ever. It was as timeless as ever. You know, for those of us, those of you who may be in the room today that do not know Christ as their Savior, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that great news that God has brought unto you is that he has brought salvation. We know that Scripture says that if we do not know Christ as our Savior, then we have not been reconciled to God, and we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That God is a wonderful and loving God who reached down to us in the greatest of ways by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest news that anyone can ever hear. For us that are believers in Jesus Christ... Not only do we have that same news to continue to take and continue to spread, read all about it, read all about it, the greatest news ever given that the Son of God was sent to earth, but we also are reminded of the news, we are reminded of the truth that God is with us, whatever he has called us to do. And will our response be, as Mary responded unto the angel Gabriel, will we say, behold, your servant. Lord God, we 